Nate Fisher is the CEO of New Founding, a venture firm seeking to support businesses defined by American ideals and a positive national vision. Front and center on New Founding's website is the slogan, Build the America You Want to Live In. In this episode, I'm talking with Nate about what his vision of America is, which ideals should govern us, and the role of businesses with biblical values in accomplishing that. I'm your host, Landon Buto, and this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please enjoy this week's conversation, and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM, or if you know someone who will be getting a mortgage soon, connect with us at clevelandstreet.com. Alrighty, Nate. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on the role of business in, in building the kind of nation you want to live in. And that's that's where I want to start. Your slogan, um, from what I've seen on at, at New Founding, is build the America you want to live in. Um, so I want to start there. Just how would you describe the America that you want to live in? Obviously, um, we like you alluded to, you know, there's some debates going on around what what should be governing um, our laws and our culture and what should decide what our America looks like. Um, should it be a Christian nation? Um, so I just want to get your thoughts there. Sure. So uh, I'll touch on two aspects of this. And, uh, and they both relate to, there, there's an element of the positive, but they both relate to, uh, to critiques of the, the president as well. Uh, one is I absolutely think it should be a Christian, uh, a much more thoroughly Christian society. So uh, whether, that's, uh, whether that's in line with, with what would be classified as Christian nationalism in many cases, or some other form of uh, some other form of that. I think the institutions should, should be uh, substantively Christian. They should be uh, not just uh, not not just made up of Christians, but uh, organized and, and explicitly uh, organized around values that are uh, values and messages that are Christian. So that's uh, that, that's a key part. Now, I don't think that I, I think you look at America today and. There's what we're building toward, but there's also the reality of what we have. So that 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 is an ideal, is certainly attractive. Uh, we're in a pluralistic country to some some extent, and we will remain in a country that remains pluralistic to some extent. So I think that it's not going to be it's not going to be as sort of thoroughly and universally Christian as I might like as an ideal. Obviously, I want the whole world to be, uh, but I think that America, the American system is certainly compatible with a degree. And you see this with federalism and whether it's a return to federalism or some other uh, other structure that allows dual sovereignty, that allows multiple uh, multiple institutions. Uh, you, you can at least imagine a country where there's sort of a broad overview that is oriented in that direction. And then there's areas, communities, uh, regions that are much more deeply and thoroughly Christian. And then you probably have some that are uh, they could be more cosmopolitan, more pluralistic within that. And I think that that's the reality of the country we're in is, is that's a likely outcome. Uh, but it's one in which uh, it's one in which the Christian is, if anything, the defining culture of the country. It's the it, it, those are the ones setting the, the default business culture, the, the values that shape things. Whereas I think right now, if anything, you have the reverse where uh, to the extent that uh, a Christian culture is tolerated at all. It's uh, it's seen as the 
marginal one as the one that's being pushed out and it's the uh it is the the, the globalized liberal ones that are uh ascendant and and default uh so to speak so that would be that would be a major aspect of that is the defining entity is the, the defining identity is christian the defining business culture is christian uh the defining algorithm on the default search engine is going to elevate the good and the true i uh, and to the extent that there's sort of uh room for for uh for a wider uh diversity which i think is is reasonable in america that's uh that exists, but it isn't normalized as the sort of right and default culture. Uh, so that's it's probably a fairly long answer to that, and it gets into uh, I think it it leaves room for a lot of prudential details. Now, I think a second component of this that I'll really emphasize is our business culture, really our culture across the board, but our business culture has become highly uh, technocratic and bureaucratized. Uh, finance is bureaucratized. Uh, the allocation of capital goes through uh, things like ESG. It goes through uh, committees and consultants and uh, deeply based on efficiency. And what I would like to see is I would like to see a move back toward a much more entrepreneurial economy. So an economy where uh, the allocation of capital, the allocation of opportunity, and really in many ways, the, the allocation of trust is something that's a much more human process. And where you see uh, you see job opportunities, for instance, coming as much from uh, impressing people and doing a good job in tight, high trust communities as they come from going off to some distant bureaucratic university that's uh, that's going to bestow a credential on you, and then you have to go to a, a bureaucratic firm following that, uh, which really is it, it's a process that sort of centralizes and sucks the. Uh, the talent out of uh, out of much of the country, and it really allows for, I would say, it allows for a leftist control. But even beyond that, it's maybe an inherently technocratic way to organize society, which is just going to tend toward a certain set of values that I think are are contrary to a more human way of organizing. Yeah. So I I know a lot of listeners are going to get caught up on. I mean, obviously, people are going to be at different points, and as far as how much they've been following kind of the conversation around Christian nationalism. Um, if it's a new concept of, or just not something people are very familiar with, it's easy to get caught up on just that the comment you made about allowing for some sort of diversity. And, you know, the, the gut reaction is, you know, why do Christians get to make the claim that their religion is the one that gets to govern things? Why can't we have a neutral um, a neutral governing that allows for diversity uh, within there. Um, what what concerns have you seen within uh, Christian circles pushing back on that view of of desiring a Christian nation? Um, what what yeah what pushback have you seen and uh, have you seen any constructive alternatives that people have proposed? So I think that the pushback is exactly what you describe, and it is it, the pushback would be we should have institutions made up of Christians, but uh, there's more of a sort of procedural liberalism or procedural neutrality as the uh, as the defining traits. I, I think that's a misconception. I, I think that's built in many ways on a misconception about what's possible. I, I, I don't believe that neutrality has ever been possible, and that there is such a thing as neutrality. 
there's uh, there's certainly a, a sense in which you can have procedures that are aimed to uh, aim to protect certain rights. There's, they're designed to be not not weighted in a particular direction on a particular issue or a particular question. But uh, every structure, every society is going to be laden with values. I mean, even a society that is neutral, uh, so to speak, on questions of religion, everyone would acknowledge it should have a uh, firm stance on questions of things like murder, uh, rape. Like those are no one would say that the state should remain neutral on those. So I think it's a question not of neutrality, but of which uh, which questions. And and certainly there's arguments to scale back to a sort of narrow natural law. You see this in certain certain areas where they want to narrow it back almost to the Noahic Covenant, which really just says the state's primary job is just to just to punish murder, and that's about it. Uh, I I just don't think that's I don't think that's a proper or historically grounded understanding of of natural law. Uh, I think natural law is a standalone basis for judging. I, I think a natural law stripped of a a recognition that nature also points to the existence of God uh, is a sort of neutered version of natural law as well. So my big pushback is uh, it, it assumes a lot of things that a only developed in a Christian society, so so they're taken as neutral, but they're actually the product of a Christian society. Uh, they're things that have been sort of assumed in let's call it mid 20th century uh, liberal liberalism. Uh, and secondly, I think the digital age is destroying the possibility of of even a perception of neutrality. And what you see, uh, you see this in business. So this gets actually to to business particularly, but especially technology, where so much of technology is becoming uh, governed by algorithms. And I'll use Google as the best example. In many ways, you can think of Google as as much a part of the public square as a lot of what the government does. I mean, in many ways, the policy decisions made in the Google algorithm are as powerful and as influential in society as many, many laws that would be passed by Congress. And if you think about it, you type a search term into Google, and there is no possibility of neutrality. Mm. It must have a number one result. It must have a number two result. It must have a number 10, number 100 result. So there must be a value judgment that goes and says, here is why one is better than two. Uh, and ultimately, in many ways, that's a condensation. Search is sort of condensing answers in many ways. It's, it's pointing you to the most concise answer to your question. If you type in the question, uh, is Jesus God? Uh, the top site is either going to say yes or it's going to say no. There's no, uh, there, there's no way that a ranked search can be neutral on that question. And so I think you see, as you see more and more of the world uh, governed by algorithms, even if it's not in domains that we traditionally see as government, you're seeing, I think, a broader recognition by more and more people in the population that, that neutrality isn't possible. Uh, you see the wokes realize this as they push very aggressively for things they call AI safety and AI ethics. And really what that means is catechize these algorithms with woke values, uh, deprioritize hate and all that stuff. Uh, but they recognize, they know something that I think many Christians don't really appreciate, which is this is not a world where neutrality is possible. Uh, this is a world where there's going to be one religion or another that is going to uh, catechize the algorithms that is going to govern govern society. Uh, in terms of alternatives, viable alternatives, 
there's going to be values laden. Uh, things are going to be values laden. There's no question of that. I think that there's lots and lots of prudential questions around things like the degree of, of toleration, the degree to which uh, particular things are mandated by the state or are encouraged, uh, the degree to which you have institutions that are, are uh, alternative important institutions in society. So there's a lot of questions around degree. And then there's questions around regime structure itself, like going back to the digital age. I don't know that you necessarily have a sort of deeply sent, you can have a deeply centralized national sort of national slash global government like we have today. Uh, you could also imagine one where there's more decentralization, more return to the states, or maybe it's not return to the states. Maybe it's uh, digital layers play what we, we would think of as a governmental role. And those may be inherently more values laden, but there may be multiple options for some of those. So I, I think the biggest problem is when you get to specifics about a viable alternative, any idea of neutrality breaks down. And then the question is really, maybe do you return to mid 20th century liberalism? Do you go with something that's more more like what, what we've what we've described with a Christian nationalist advocate? Right. Yeah. And I, something I've heard, um, you know, the, the key response that I've heard Doug Wilson keep coming back to in his conversations is, you know, by what standard, if it's not if you're a Christian advocating for something else besides uh, letting scripture and letting um, the authority of Christ be the ones governing what our nation looks like, what is that standard that that you're that you're going to advocate for? Because it's going to be a standard to your point. There's no neutrality. Um, so, you know, can you can you give us a practical example of what it would look like to, you know, uh, people here Christian nationalism, and I think think back to the crusades where you come up and say you know confess jesus christ as lord or we'll kill you um and so what is a practical example of what it would look like to be governed by scripture as a nation um in our laws in our culture but uh, but recognize that there are there there is a limit to the, the prescribed authority of the civil government um, can you give us a, a practical example of how you can, you're advocating for something that's not neutral, but allowing for some level of, you know, freedom and diversity? What does that look like? So I'll, so this is a, a little bit of a divergence from really where I, uh, I would call myself an expert. I'm, I'm learning. I, I read. I, I've never embraced the term Christian nationalist either. Sure. I know that I, uh, I'm certainly active in, in the world where that's, uh, that's an active idea. I'm sympathetic to it, but I, uh, I I think it's more about the institutional values and the sort of default values than it mm. is about mandating everyone say this. I mean, you can you can see the analog in our society today, where many institutions uh, they don't force you to be gay, but they fly the pride flag. Uh, they're certainly as an institution, very clearly embracing a set of values, uh, effectively mm -hmm. a, a religion in many ways. Yeah. Uh, they may prohibit they, they, they may prohibit blasphemy. You're not allowed to publicly or, or certainly within the the company you'll be you'll be punished for publicly blaspheming against the LGBTQ religion. Uh, but you're uh, you're not going to be uh, 
at this point still, you're not going to be punished for uh, holding those beliefs in your heart. Although people may, if they suspect it, uh, treat you as somewhat of an outsider in the society. Mm, it's a really uh, good example. So I think that yeah. that sort of points out that these these patterns are these patterns are persistent. Again, by what standard to uh, to refer to what uh, Doug said? Uh, it may be that every society is going to have blasphemy laws of some sort or another. And the question is just, what is the thing that you really can't blaspheme against? Yeah. Uh, and I think the first step is we we look at, at norms and we just, for every time there is a norm like that, uh, we assume that it, it would accord with Christian norms. Uh, it doesn't need to be stronger. In some cases, it may may actually be more tolerant. I mean, historically, Christian societies have been far more tolerant than uh, many others of uh, of divergence. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, that's how I would look to it, and I would look I, I would look at I would look at lots of examples today where values are already, and, and a lot of times these values are are seen as politically neutral. I'm not even talking about the right. LGBT pride right. ones, but yeah. there's values at companies that talk about finding yourself. There's values that'll be the sort of the employee motivation posters, all of those things, all of the sort of values HR talks about. I mean, many of those are sort of are laden with a particular the particular understanding of the person, a particular uh, value system about what's good, uh, even what's good beyond profit alone. And uh, all of those statements, in many cases, are attempts at, I think, a sort of quasi-secular uh, ethic that is... Uh, distinct from what a, what a Christian one would look like, uh, where you could easily imagine a Christian one. So it's a helpful kind of ideal vision of what the ideal looks like. Um, what do you think the next five, 10 years could look like in a, in a positive view of if we want to start building towards that? Um, how do we start to work towards that? Uh, what kind of progress do you think is possible? over the next five or 10 years and what is that how does that how do we achieve that all right sorry for the interruption just a quick reminder that when your friends mention that they might be thinking about buying a house or refinancing you can do them and us a huge favor by mentioning that you know a great lender and sending them to clevelandstreet.com it'll be a huge help to us at csm and hopefully it will save your friends lots of time and stress looking for a lender they can trust I think in many ways, the next five to ten years could be tumultuous. We're facing a lot of challenges. We're facing, especially at the the federal level, I think increasingly uh, increasingly uh, lawless government, a, law, a regime that is uh, not in any sense bound by the Constitution or by our norms. So, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of challenges we face. What I what I focus on and what I'm interested in is is that positive side. It is the building. It is how do we how do we build institutions? I would say the one that offers the most sort of the most optimistic scenario in many ways is a scenario where the right is able to embrace disruptive technology. Because if you think about it, if 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 our opponents control all major institutions, then the thing that offers the most potential for us to uh, change that to in a sense reshuffle the deck is disruptive technology and in a world where in a world where they control institutions and and any changes incremental uh we're at best going to be able to sort of it's going to be just a a slog to move anything but in a world where a segment of that is being uh being reshuffled due to uh technological disruption uh, i think 
Christians and conservatives, uh, uh, those on the right, can play a key role in leveraging something that has the power to drive that change and doing so toward a vision that we shape that's a distinctly, distinctly Christian uh, right-wing positive vision. Uh, and I, I would say there's a couple of ways of looking at it. One is like disruptive technology itself is going to uh, is going to change things and it, it could change things in a way that at least leaves the values up in the air. Uh, second of all, I think in many cases, we actually have important advantages. And there's two advantages that I point to that we should be leveraging every chance we get. One is we don't just uh, believe that our values are different than the other side. It's not like we view the world the same way, but you just like certain things and other people dislike those. Uh, you actually look at the world in a materially different way. You you believe that human nature is different. Uh, you believe you believe in other realities. And if we believe things that are different, in many cases, those will have profoundly important business implications. So uh, we should be betting on those. We should be making technological bets. Venture, I'm in venture, particularly with new founding. Venture is an area where we can make very concentrated bets that reflect a belief about the future, about what's possible. So one example I give, uh, and you're in the mortgage business, I think this is an interesting one, is Silicon Valley engineers for 50 years have been uh, talking, economists and engineers both love to do this. They love to talk about how brokers are nothing but transaction costs. They're inefficiencies, uh, and they have this persistent belief that they can replace them with technology. And it reflects a, a sort of view of of humans and human community that is very technocratic and uh, and I think uh, materialistic. And what they fail to realize is that brokers play a key role in the brokering of trust in very complex human systems. And so time and time again, they've tried to create businesses that have this thesis of disintermediating brokers, releasing, uh, replacing brokers. And time, time and again, they failed to do so. And ultimately, if they're wrong about their beliefs about people, they are going to make bets that reflect those and they are going to uh, they are going to fail or they're going to be at a disadvantage. So if you have a higher view of the person, you have a higher view of the understanding of how trust, a more accurate view of how trust works, then you could make bets. And I think this is particularly apparent in things like use cases for AI, where the question becomes, are you trying to replace people or complement people? Uh, we could bet on products that complement people rather than try to replace people in key ways. Mm -hmm. And if we're right, our products should be the winning bets. Uh, and that could that could mean category dominance in uh, very, very significant spaces being reshaped by technology. So that's that's a huge advantage. I don't think Christians and conservatives have generally thought about uh, using technology in that way. Uh, the second one that makes me optimistic is in many ways, I think we are natural early adopters for new technology. So uh, you think about two examples I give are actually the homeschooling movement and the settling of America. In both cases, the early adopters, the people who in some sense gained the first network effect there and, and shaped the culture of the space or, or, or actually in, in the case of settling actually dominated uh, the new, new territories were deeply religious and profoundly dissatisfied people. Uh, so if you think about it, they're the ones who are going to be most motivated to leave the status quo and move to something new. And when you have a new technology, your biggest 
challenge is often getting those early adopters. Uh, it's not going to be the comfortable people. Well, uh, for a lot of disruptive new technologies, uh, we may well be the best, most natural early adopters, especially as communities to move. Uh, again, an area that I don't think that Christians have been deeply in touch with. There's often a sort of fear or aversion to technology. But if we do so, and if we if we do so onto what proves to be a uh, compelling disruptive technology, in many ways, we shape the culture, uh, we, we shape the norms, we gain the ability to leverage that. Maybe the way uh, Google is able to uh, leverage its power today as a dominant platform. And uh, second of all, if, if the company that leverages that, if the first company to sort of pitch the Christians on that is also run by people uh, who share those values, uh, there's a key, key role we can play in shaping uh, dominant new technology. So those would be sort of two pillars of where we actually, we're not just competing, but we actually have an advantage. Yeah, so it, it seems to me that, you know, a, a lot of people might hear this, this description of the problem that, you know, where everyone recognizes the problem with the culture we're in. Um, most Christians do, you know, have, have a general sense of dissatisfaction. This isn't how things should be. Um, and then to hear you talk about the solution being highly, it, it almost sounds like transactional um, or, or material to say, well, a lot of the solution I think is going to be involved in technology and, and in your mission at, at New Founding is very business focused. Um, as a, it almost sounds like that's, you know, we have a spiritual problem, the solution would be spiritual. Um, why is it that you believe in 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 the power of, of businesses, in the power of just our daily work, in the power of technology uh, to cause that real kind of change to reclaim the culture? So, so, so two things. One is absolutely it's a spiritual problem as well. And, and one of the organizations, the other organization I founded is American Reformer. And the focus of American Reformer is explicitly on the church and on on restoring traditional Protestant political and cultural uh, thought in this area and applying it to problems of our day. So uh, I think the church, even even given the sort of second pillar I gave of venture, it, that's going to particularly work for Christians as activated in distinct communities. Christians who hold a version of Christianity that largely blends in with the rest of the world are not going to be, uh, they're not going to be meaningful players in that. So I think without question, a revitalized Christianity and a revitalized church, uh, and one that I think has embraced more distinctions from the, the world is, uh, is going to be a pillar even to, uh, even to uh, what I described in the business. Uh, I would say in some ways, my vocation is largely business. That's one reason I focus on that. I think that, uh, I think that, that is, uh, that's an area where I have particular uh, skill, and that's an area where I have particular passion. Uh, I would secondly say business relative to politics. In many ways, everything I'm describing is politics, right? It's how do we live together? What are the rules that govern us? But why am I focused on business as opposed to, let's say, conventional political electoral office, all that? Mm. In many ways, I would say that's an area where it's very important, but I think there's a lot of structural impediments we face. I mean, you face enormous challenges with just election integrity. You face enormous challenges with a structure that has become ossified uh, both at the judiciary and in many ways the administrative state to the point that uh, 
that, that there's not even an ability, even if you do win elections, to achieve significant change there. So I look at those and I think in many ways, a, a lot of the elements of government, especially federal government, I think red states are a different story, have become uh, very, very resistant to the impl implementation of material change. I mean, why do things seem to ratchet to the left? And I would argue, in many ways, a sort of administrative state by its very nature, it's a technocratic, bureaucratic organization, and it's going to tend to favor technocratic, bureaucratic outcomes, which almost by definition are coterminous with, uh, with progressive or even leftist uh, outcomes on things. Uh, business, especially around technology, I don't think is governed by that. Uh, first off, I would say technological innovation is not, I wouldn't think of it as materialistic. I mean, when an entrepreneur conceives of something uh, in a very real way, he's not just looking for arbitrage. He's not just sort of responding to market signals to, to, to figure out uh, where the highest profit is and, and, and arbitraging that. In many ways, uh, an entrepreneur, especially uh, the sort you see in disruptive technology, is conceiving a vision of the world and, and willing it into existence. And it has to be a vision that accords to reality for that to succeed, uh, but is very much a product of, of human creation in a way that I think parallels God's creation of the world uh, more than it parallels the sort of random processes of a, uh, let's say, a, an algorithm searching for arbitrage opportunities or even Darwinian evolution. So I wouldn't think of that as as purely materialistic. I think it's it is the domain is the material world, but that's what we're talking about for for society, for institutions, all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's but it's the product of human intention, uh, human creation uh, in that world, and that's laden with a that's laden with a set of values and vision for uh, what we want to see accomplished in that world. Uh, that would be one. Second of all, I think that much, I mean, we're, we're a commercial society and business is just, business plays an important role in our society. Uh, that is going to be, uh, it, it is going to be a realm that has disproportionate influence on shaping the future uh, versus where other societies may be. So again, it's, it's absolutely important that Christians are active in that domain. And I think they must be active in a way that recognizes that what they're doing is they are building, uh, they're building something that has significance, something that has value, that, that is values related. And, and once they realize that, then those decisions take on a significance that accords with that. So if you have a Christian who realizes, you know, their their daily work, whatever they're doing, whether they own a business or working in a larger business, um, you, know, you know, whatever your role is, you realize your your daily work is how you're calling it values laden. Um, it is spiritual um, and and the objective of it matters. The the mission of of your broader organization matters. Would you encourage and and, and especially as you have Christians who are in larger non non uh, Christians who are in larger organizations that don't have biblical and Christian values um, would you encourage those Christians to fight um, within their organizations or to seek to build uh, new new Christian organizations I think it depends on many many factors uh, one is just unfortunately there's not a huge number of organizations that have been shaped with more Christian, with, with sort of explicitly Christian values 
So for most people, I think their ability to to do what they do best to create significant value is going to be in an organization that's at least not sort of not fully organized that way. Uh, I would say I do encourage people, especially those who have the ability, those who have the, the desire, those who are, 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 they have the skills to be at an early stage company to uh, look for opportunities, whether it's to start something new, whether it's to join something in this space. I think that there's, there's gonna be a tremendous return on that, both in terms of impact uh, and also a financial return. Uh, so I, I, I think it's an attractive space, even if it remains small, uh, but if you're in a but if you're in a bigger company, if you're in a uh, a, a company that may not be explicitly Christian, it, it, you want to be aware. I think being aware of the impact. I mean, you may be building skills. You may know that the organization is hostile to Christianity, but you're building skills that are valuable that are valuable for the building of Christendom. Uh, whether that be ten years in the future, whether that be be something that you're going to be able to. Uh, to use very specifically if you do venture out on your own, uh, whether you can move to a Christian company and bring uh, capabilities and relationships that would be valuable. So there, there, there's valuable reason there. And I think finally, it, you could be doing good work. Uh, it, it's it, it's good work that is good for society, uh, for an imperfect company, uh, provides good income and and a big part of your your building vocation may fall outside of business. So I think it's it's legitimate to do that as well. You could be a elder at your church. You could be a uh, you you could be involved in starting a school. Like those are also those are also good things and having a good job that pays well uh, is certainly something that can enable you to then focus uh, focus attention on other things. So it, it really depends on circumstance. I, I think I think there should be a sort of desire and hunger to constantly at least be aware of uh, of thinking about the country that your day to day work is building and and always looking for opportunities to apply that in ways that are uh, are are going to be productive but recognize that there's there's going to be lots of considerations. Right. Yeah, that, I think that's a helpful answer for something where, like you said, there's no single answer. Um, a lot of helpful considerations to bear in mind. A lot of what your work involves at, at New Founding is helping people find um, partners that are aligned in, in values. Um, you, I've seen you talk about discerning uh, what it looks like to to um, find a, find a partnership where there's alignment in between all the parties. Um, where how would you as you're encouraging people to to find partnerships that um, are based on on shared values um, where do you where do you draw the line whether that's in the kind of companies you're working for kind of like what we were just discussing um, the the kind of businesses you're 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 purchasing from um, the kind of investments you make how, how would you encourage people to think about the partnerships they're involved in so I'd, I'd go back to my previous answer and say, I think there's a similar range of factors in, in partnerships. I mean, ultimately, if you're going in day to day to work for a company, contributing your, your labor, your efforts to them for a salary, that, that's not categorically different than if you're in a business partnership with someone. I think it's, it's, it's sometimes it's something easier to leave, but uh, in practice, it, it may be very similar. So 
again, I would think of it prudentially in terms of does it does it does it generally, given the options, uh, move in the right direction? Now, in terms of my own approach for business partnerships, I'm also looking to build a coalition, and this is part of it. Like, we're not just trying to build a narrow little island. We're not we're not trying to be like the Amish, where we're sort of separatist and we're we're building just our own community. It's deeply pure in many ways. Uh, I want to change the country. I, I think we need to change the country. We need we need scale to build a true alternative uh, economic network, one that is largely independent of uh, totalitarian uh, nature of the left, and that that takes scale. And so, for me, that's a coalition that includes a broad range of people. If anything, I'll actually be less picky about who I'll do business with. I'll be more picky about how anchored I am to my vision. So if I can remain anchored to the vision, if a company that I'm working on can remain anchored to a vision, and I feel confident that the nature of the product, the nature of the business is moving toward a vision that, I, that I'm proud of, that's one that I want to see, see for our country, then I'd probably be willing to do business with anyone who is willing to do business with me to advance that. As a general rule, there may be limits in certain cases, but, I, but, but by and large, it's sort of I'm less concerned about what values they hold than whether they are willing to to, to put their partnership uh, to partner and, and put their labor into advancing a vision that I find attractive. And the big question is, it, is their participation advancing the vision or is it actually changing the vision? If it's changing the vision, that's a different story. But I, if it's advancing it, I think we want that. And if anything, I think the attractiveness of our vision, and this is, again, an area where I think business can be really influential. I mean, in many ways, Silicon Valley inspires people because of the extent to which startups are focused on a sort of aspirational vision of the future. They talk a lot about an aspirational vision of the future. So they draw a lot of people to that. People are hungry for that kind of thing right now. Uh, and many of those people are hungry for something inspiring and exciting. They don't have a definite vision about what that is. So if we offer a startup, if we offer a business that has an aspirational vision for the future, an inspiring vision for the future, my expectation is we'll see a lot of people drawn to that and they'll be excited by it. They'll even be excited to put their effort into helping build that, whether or not they hold values that fully, fully align with mine. Over time, uh, again, as we see sort of the darker example in Silicon Valley, many of those people will see their values end up uh, more and more conforming to the sort of full set of values uh, that shaped that vision. So I expect that, in a sense, a sort of economic coalition that is created by this will grow to share more and more of our values, even if the initial partnership was built around something very specific. Great. Thanks, Nate. Uh, I will let you wrap up by just sharing a little bit. I mean, you mentioned that you are you're on a mission to change the country. Um, and I know your work at New Founding is part of that. Um, can you explain uh, what you guys are working on over there? What projects you have going on right now? Sure. So uh, first, I've already mentioned American Reformer earlier. That's technically a separate organization. It's a, a nonprofit. A uh, lot of lot of overlap in followers. Uh, New Founding is a venture firm, and we we do several things. We invest in companies. We actually just launched a rolling fund on AngelList recently. So we have a fund that we can raise from accredited investors. And uh, at, so we're, we're both raising money and we're deploying money and we're looking for startups that are 
uh, in line with the sort of vision that we we seek. And what I'm looking for particularly there is it's not just going to be a company where the owner shares our values. It's going to be a company where some aspect of the business is uh, materially related to the cultural and political trends that we're focused on or the ecosystem that we have connections in. So we want to be the best investor in the sense that we can provide material value add to them, uh, to those companies. So we're, we're again, we're raising money, we're investing money, uh, especially earlier stage at this at this point with uh, with the fund at the level it's at. And then we're also starting at, at a much narrower level, we'll, we'll actually help start companies, more of a venture studio model where we'll bring together founders potentially or co-founders, we'll develop an idea. And in a few select cases, we'll do that. Uh, and then finally, we'll do some consulting. We'll work with companies in this space and we'll do fractional CFO work, we'll do other advisory work, and then we'll do talent placement where we have a network where people can get out of woke companies into non-woke companies would be the, the simplest version but you can go to our website you can sign up you can join our talent network or if you're hiring there's a real opportunity i think to hire uh very good people who might not otherwise be on the market and again the talent is really professional executive uh technical talent so that's that's the range of what we're doing uh ranging from the investing to the talent uh, I'm very active. I'm active on Twitter. Uh, Nate A. Fisher under my name. Uh, uh, talk about a lot of these themes. Uh, so I would love to have uh, have people as followers. Uh, if you're investing as investors, as uh, if you're building a company, we're looking to hear from uh, from you. We have a deal room where you can submit deals as well as as well as for the fund particularly. And then uh, if you're interested in getting involved in this network more broadly, that is uh, that's what our talent network is for. Awesome. And I will throw a uh, website and your Twitter in the description on the episode as well. So people can check that out there. Nate, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, lots of good information. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lennon. Thanks for listening to Work is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review and listen next week.